0: Everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. The world is what you make it. If it does not fit, make alterations. My name is Matt and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking?
1: Ah, great, man. Great. Yeah. And I actually have an iced coffee Laura brought back from the where Walmart. from? Starbucks. B-W-E. Nah, Starbucks. It's way too expensive, man. Oh, yeah. Especially because our guest on. I can't go with the fancy coffees today. They you have to go for the. <laughs> for the- <laughs> is that, that? It's not. That's a fancy coffee, though, you're drinking? Uh, no, no, it was just like a local huh. uh, mom and pop shop. And it's actually the best coffee around. Really?
0: Like in, real in, love was put in, in, yeah. in Hoboken. Yeah. The best coffee in Hoboken.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I don't know about around. I mean, I guess
1: around you. There's orins in New York. They have strong, strong coffee. My, my wife loves that.
0: I am um, drinking coffee as well. I have uh, B&B, which is burlap and bean coffee. It's roasted in here in Philadelphia and it's black and tan. It's very good. And uh, I'm quite happy with it. It's a little too early to start drinking beers, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll get to that soon enough. And uh, so if you guys have uh, catchphrases like today's catchphrase is the world is what you make it. If it does not fit, make alterations. That was sent in by our buddy Daniel Merrill at the Duke Daniel is his Twitter handle. And you can send those catchphrases in via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Money Matters Man. Matt,
1: Matt will say anything. I Yes. He has no shame.
0: I have no shame. <laughs> send me your worst. And speaking of men, we have a guest on the show today that I'm really excited to talk to. Uh, I want to introduce Mr. He's Money Mustache. A- uh, let me introduce him. Don't you jump in. You should your, hold your horses. <laughs> Mr. Yeah, Money Mustache, how are you, man?
2: What's up, guys? Thank you for the invitation. Oh,
0: well. absolutely. You know, I, was, uh, I woke up one morning a couple of weeks ago, and my brother wakes up for work. I work from home, and he says, oh, you know, you guys should do a show about early retirement. I said, yeah, we're going to have Mr. Money Mustache on. He goes, that's who I was reading. I'm like, okay, so perfect. He's like, I want to hear that. Well, it's, it's happening now. So Yeah, that's pretty cool. We were connected by the readers, I guess. Yeah. Although I mostly
2: heard about you guys because of your uh, your new career as rock stars slash white
0: rappers.
1: White right, right. rappers.
2: <laughs> Is it just Matt who's in those videos, or Andrew, are you it's, in there too? It's
0: just me, although... Just Matt. Yeah, but uh, we are planning on doing a short little 60-second rap where I'm going to... We're going to attempt to have Andrew rap, right? I could do it. I, I listen to J5, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh. Uh, so I, I do want to talk about early retirement, but I want to ask: Where did the name Mister Money Mustache come from?
2: Well, I suspect it's sort of like uh, "Listen, Money Matters" because when I was analyzing your name, uh, I noticed it's got the same kind of catchy number of syllables, That's and the true. middle word is "money." And I think you just pick something that sounds good. And but um, you have yeah, a mustache, mustache, I imagine, right?
1: Sometimes, okay. not right. Right now,
2: I would consider myself to not have a mustache.
1: Okay, but, um, but yeah, are yeah. you? Are you waiting for November? Um,
2: no. Well, if I am, I'd, I'd better actually get started now if I want it to look anything like my Twitter picture. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things. You pick something that sounds good, and I just think of like Magnum PI and old Western gunslingers and the seniority of the mustache. And mm-hmm. I thought that that just went really well with uh, a financial, uh, <laughs> <woo-woo>. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Why not?
0: Like the Monopoly man.
2: Oh, well, not like him. He's kind of like, you know, a bit of an evil capitalist and he's dorky and he's he's like completely physically undeveloped. So I don't like to be related
0: to the Monopoly man. <laughs> you don't have a monocle. You don't rock a yeah. monocle. You don't you don't you're not a pudgy uh black and white man.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let don't don't connect Mr. Money
0: Mustache to the Monopoly guy. Fair right. enough. So uh <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Mr. Money Mustache is the website, MrMoneyMustache.com. dot com. And You, uh, you know, one of the things that I was surprised about, I had thought that you had started the website and then the website is what got you into early retirement, but that actually isn't the case. You had, you got into early retirement way before the website.
2: Yeah, that's true. It was like several, many years, like six years of regular, happy retirement. I thought I was just leading a normal life until I started to look around me and I noticed like, hey, how come all my friends aren't doing this too? They all had good jobs. Like, why is everyone still living paycheck to paycheck? So eventually, out of frustration, I started this blog like, look, everybody, everyone's totally mismanaging their money, and
0: I'm just going to teach the world how it's done. So that's the idea behind Mr. Money Mustache. Well, tell me a little bit about your early days on and, and why you decided to uh, retire early and how that whole thing took place. It was kind of,
2: for me, just a natural choice. So I grew up in this other country uh, called Canada, and ah. it's like a little bit less <laughs> fancy than the United States. So people don't have as much money. Or like, they didn't when I was growing up anyway. And so then I transplanted myself to the US because of work opportunities. And I kept my Canadian spending habits. And I found that money accumulated because I didn't buy quite as many cars as everybody else mm-hmm. and didn't go out to dinner quite as often. It turns out when you don't spend all your money and then you invest it, then uh, it tends to grow. And then eventually the returns from your investment are enough to live off. And of course, the less you need to live off, The sooner this happens so um, that just happened I felt like I was living a pretty fancy life actually but apparently I wasn't and then uh, then I no longer needed to work right around uh, age 30 just before my 31st birthday Uh, so I quit the job and just lived off of things like um, investment dividends and rental house income and now here we are like nine years later and it's still going well except now I'm writing about it which has become almost like a job but it's Mm -hmm. a really fun job where there's no boss
1: so I just want to say, it's not like you don't go out to dinner one less time and you, you know, you're spending like everyone else. You, you live a, a nice lifestyle, but you spend like an insanely low amount.
2: No, how- no, that's not correct. I spend like a huge, huge amount, but it's just slightly less ridiculous than the average rich person in this country.
0: Interesting.
1: So how much do <laughs> you spend? Like how much you spend to live? It's like you, your wife and your, well, your son.
2: Yeah, yeah, we have like an almost nine-year-old, and uh, we we don't really watch our spending. We don't have a budget. We just kind of spend as much as we see fit. But then we do keep track of it, and at the end of the year, add up all the bills on the credit card. And it's been adding up to about twenty-five thousand dollars a year. And uh, there's a bit of cheating involved because there's no mortgage expense in that. You know, part of my mm-hmm. idea of investment was paying off the house. Mm-hmm. So, really, you'd have to crank that up to more like forty thousand if you want to compare. Apples to apples spending with a typical family with like, you know, an average mortgage.
0: Yeah. I, I actually want to find out how you did this because uh, you, all right, so you're from Canada. You went to school in Canada, right? Yes, that's true. And uh, after school in Canada, what did you end up doing in the States? Like what, what was the opportunity that brought you over to the States?
2: Well, first I graduated and I worked in Canada. So I went to engineering school, software engineering. Okay. And then I worked a few years in that field in Canada. And then this is like in the late 90s. And then I read in all the engineering magazines, like career opportunities are great in the States and you get paid more and there's lower taxes. So, And it's like a big brain drain and everyone's moving there. So I thought I would try it. So I just sent my resume out to a bunch of uh, interesting sounding places and mm-hmm. got some job interviews and took a job here. And then, uh, you know, it's pretty easy for people to move. You know, if you have a good degree and a good job, it's easy to move between these two countries because they're connected to the free trade agreement. So that was fun. I'm really glad I did it. And I moved to Colorado because of the lifestyle. It seemed to match my values of, like, mountain bikes and outdoors and
0: not working too hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the history of that. So, um, and. So you, you ended up, you had a job and how long did you work at that job before you were able to like, and, and you know, you, you had this, you were working and you were, I'm sure making decent money and just stashing it away, not spending it, investing it. How did you end up accumulating this wealth during that time to, you know, say at 30 years old that I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm retiring.
2: Right. Well, I didn't, I didn't really keep exact track
0: because I didn't realize I was going to become
2: Mr. Money Mustache. Sure. At the time, but I um, I kind of recreated it from my best memories. At one point, making this post, I made this blog article called "A Brief History of the Stash: How We Saved from Zero to Retirement in Nine Years." And it's all about all these years from like graduation and what happened and how much I earned, and then uh, just steps through the years. And things got faster and faster as I went along because you know your gains are compounding, and you get better at living an efficient lifestyle, and you've kind of bought all the crap you need. Early on, so mm-hmm. then your spending drops, and uh, so that's how that's how it worked out. So, and of course, I had a, um, a girlfriend now a wife, who was also on board with the program. So she was earning two and uh, you know we didn't have our kids too early. We waited until we were after thirty, mm-hmm. which helped. Didn't have a bunch of dogs or other vacation houses or yachts. So all these things add up to, you know, basically being able to live on less than half of what you take home, and that's really what. That's the real formula for early retirement
0: is living on less than half of your money. Living on less than half and then doing what with the other more than half?
2: You invest it in whatever you want. So I would recommend index funds like Vanguard index funds, like the total stock market, Mm -hmm. U.S. index combined with the total international fund. And the reason this is good is because you're not trading. You're not incurring like crazy losses and selling when the market goes down with everybody else. You're collecting dividends a whole while. And over time, like- you know, as soon as you get past the one decade period, you really start to feel smart for doing that kind of investing because you realize it's a lot better than these cowboy investing or yeah. actively managed funds or, you know, precious metals where it just goes up and down for no reason, speculation like that. Right. And where you did, know, you,
1: where yeah. did you learn all of this? Like just um,
2: on your own? Yeah, it was from books. I mean, I went through engineering, so it's you're always encouraged to have kind of an analytical mindset. and study up on facts instead of just repeating the current trend of the day. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot of books on investing as I was um, growing up through, as soon as I became an adult and started having money, then I was wondering what to do with it. So I read investing books. And then I realized you don't have to read a lot of investing books. You just buy index funds, and it's it's pretty much the best way to go
0: anyway. What was, so the, book, what was the book that, like, really spoke to you?
2: Uh, I have a whole list of them. It's hard. I don't even have a single one, but, you know, there is one good one, and it's called The Four Pillars of Investing by mm-hmm. William Bernstein. It's pretty good. Or if you look up anything from John Bogle, he's like the founder of Vanguard, yeah. is another good recommendation. Or you could just read everything that Warren Buffett has ever written and all the books about him. And even though he doesn't talk so much about personal investing, he more tells his own story, mm-hmm. the fundamentals that he illustrates through his anecdotes Really help you understand what the economy is all about, like what the whole idea of human productivity, and helps turn you into a calm, long-term investor, which is, I think, is the real way to make money in the long run.
0: Yeah, and I, I recently uh, had a quote from John Bogle that I love, which is, uh, instead of finding the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. Yeah, that's and that a good I- way to do it. And that idea of, you know, investing in funds and, and the entire stock market as opposed to individual stocks or precious metals or things that go up and down and, you know, ending up becoming a day trader for, you know, for what it's worth. Yeah, waiting.
2: that's true. But the other thing is to – because I kind of focus not so much on investing because it is so simple. And I focus on how to get so much of your earnings, like a lot of your earnings, into those investments because that's the real thing that's missing in America is everyone's got these – Super piddly, like 5 to 15% savings rates, and they think they're doing fine. And meanwhile, they have like a brand new $30,000 car, or they have hundreds of dollars per week in restaurant budgets and fancy coffees and all this other stuff. And there's nothing like morally wrong with that. But if you want to get ahead, you can't be doing that stuff, you know, unless you've got a $400,000 salary where it doesn't matter. If you're in regular mortal land, you've got to get a little bit badass about optimizing your spending. And later on, you can relax because you're going to have so much more money that you won't have to be efficient for your whole life. But what I find is the habits that I picked up as a 20-year-old are still sticking with me today, and I really enjoy it. Like I still ride a bike everywhere, and I pull my groceries home in a bike trailer, uh, not because I can't afford a BMW 7 Series, but right. just because that's a better way to live for me. And I'm never going to have the Beamer now because the bike makes me happier. So it's a really great um, you know, it's a great lifestyle adjustment to make when you're young.
0: Yeah, and it's exercise.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing. Like, you got to be outside for as many hours a day as you can. And you need a few hours of hard exercise per day, like doing something. And that's totally lost on our culture. Like, everyone thinks if you just do 30 minutes on the treadmill, then that's good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not, man. You got to be out like a caveman or cavewoman doing stuff all day, especially as you get older. And that's that's the lifestyle to
0: aspire to in my in my view. Yeah. And I, I like how you mentioned that the investing part is easy, right? With index funds and those things, that's the, that's the easy part, although that seems to be the part that everyone focuses on because yeah, that's what makes money, you know, quote unquote.
2: That's true. You're right. There's a lot of money in writing about investing. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why we read so much about it. There's not much money in telling people not to buy anything. <laughs> right. So that's why only retired people can do that kind of writing like me because I don't need to There's no make affiliate money program. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's that all right. So I want to go back to this your you know the 60% of your uh your focus is trying to put as much money into investments as possible. When you first started out and you said you you've kind of you grew up with this idea that, you know, spending a lot of money wasn't really a thing. So it was kind of ingrained in you, right? What's, yes. Thankfully. What's, what's the biggest struggle uh, now that you have the blog and we'll, we'll go into that in a second, but now that you have that, you're, you're out uh, reaching out to listeners. What does everyone's struggle seem to be? Why is it such a hard thing to stop spending money? You know, I don't have a good <laughs> ending to that question. Like why is it so hard to stop? <laughs> why is it so hard to stop spending money? Really? It's gotta be a cultural thing. Cause to me, it seems
2: just bizarre what people are doing and they think it's normal. Like I have this article I've been working on that's called when ridiculousness is ubiquitous and it rhymes nicely, but it's also, Mm. it's also true. Like people just think what they're doing is appropriate. Like they think it's okay to borrow money for a car and they think it's okay to drive like one mile to the store and all these other little things that to me that just blows my mind. Like I'd never do it, but to the average person, it's just, regular behavior because they're modeling it on other people they've seen and if you watch tv uh, all the there's no mustachians on tv there's no frugal people it's all like you know just regular people with brand new clothes and new cars and they're no one's riding a bike on the tv shows so you just copy what you see the other humans doing Mm
0: -hmm. and lo and behold you have no money left over when you do that hmm and that's interesting (laughs) because i i I didn't assume that Canada was this place that was frugal, like it's a frugal country,
2: is it? Well, it's kind of lost a little bit of its frugality during the 15 years since I left there because they've just had this massive oil boom mm, combined right. with a lot of uh, immigration of wealthy people from other countries like like Hong Kong and and uh, China and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of money circulating there, sloshing around. It inflated the housing market and uh, I think the regular – Hockey-playing, beard, plaid shirt Canadians have Maple been led astray. yes. So now they all have like Hyundai Genesis bought on credit, and they're yeah. driving. And mm. they're wondering why they're they're actually I think in a worse personal debt position than the U.S. was. And at the peak of our 2008, you know, overleveraged mm-hmm. crisis, right. and their houses it's, it's like six hundred thousand dollars for. Crappy vinyl-clad townhouses now. Yeah, and all these places that are much less nice than where I live now in the U.S. So they'll get their lessons someday. But <laughs> we got to look back to the '70s, you know, and and my own upbringing to to take inspiration from Canada. Like, you know, my parents had they never borrowed money for cars. They would always just have like these old manual transmission hatchbacks, and you just kind of we didn't go out for dinner a lot. We did a lot of stuff at home and worked hard in the gardens and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of roots we need to get back to as an entire society because it's more satisfying living. That's the number one and by far the most important reason. And number two is it it fixes your money situation in a in a breeze. Like it's just
1: awesome how much more wealthy you end up when you do that. So I kind of feel that uh, pe- people understand like that that message, but maybe they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, how did you know when your end of working line was? And like, how can people kind of find that light so they can see, oh, I, if I do this, I only have like five years left.
2: That's true. Well, that's something that, that the investing books kind of taught me, I would say, because you don't automatically know how much money you need. But it turns out there's a really simple formula. You just take your spending, which you should really be keeping track of on a monthly and an annual basis. So let's say $25,000 if you multiply that number by 25, roughly, that's how much money you need invested in order to be able to quit working forever. So if you spend $25,000 a year, you need about $625,000, if I'm remembering that number correctly, um, to be retired forever. If you spend $100,000 a year, you need $2.5 million invested to sustain that living style. So, um, so anyway, once I figured that out, and I figured my spending was a certain amount, I think it might have been around 25 or 30 was my guess when I was still working. Mm-hmm. And then I saved up and my wife and I had total savings of somewhere like around 800,000 when we quit working, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Once you get into the habit and you do this for more than 5 years, it it goes surprisingly quickly. So that was enough. 800,000 um if you do the 4% rule which, which is another way of saying the 25 thing in reverse mm-hmm. that's enough to generate about 32,000 of cash flow per year and that's enough for us to live off so we figured that's enough let's quit and of course when you quit you don't actually never do anything again you you embark on the next stage of your life which if you're young it probably will involve earning money but it won't be like you know some crappy cubicle job it'll be the job of your dreams or the hobby of your dreams. I try, I kind of encourage, encourage people to think retirement is not the end of work anymore. I had to redefine it.
1: Now, retirement is the end of mandatory work. Hmm. I, and that, that's kind of where I wanted to go because I know there there's a lot of people, one, they work till 60, you know, for quote unquote, the man. And then it's like, they don't even know what to do because they just have too much time. So, Like, you're afraid you're going to retire and have nothing. Like, how did you handle that? Like, did you have a plan of what you're going to do when you retired?
2: I sure did. And it's kind of a slippery slope because the longer you work in a job, humans are really habit-bound creatures, right? So if you are, like, the paper pusher for, like, the XYZ government department and you do it from age 25 to 65, you're going to burn out your brain and lose a lot of your other interests. So then when you quit that job... You really might have nothing to do other than go play bingo and knit some <laughs> scarves or something. Now, the younger you are, and I don't want to be ageist because a lot of older people maintain their creative spark as well. But yeah. for to a certain extent, I was, I was young and I was still in the learning stage of my life. So I was excited to quit my regular software job and just get on with the next stuff. And for me, I started a, um, a house building company right after, quote, retiring and because I was always interested in construction and I thought, well, I'm not construction, but, you know, like fine carpentry and yeah. learning mm-hmm.
0: stuff and designing beautiful houses. That's your engineering brain, right?
2: Yeah. And I'd always worked on my own houses and built stuff since I was a kid. So I thought cool. this is the, ide- the ideal, uh, you know, pastime. Let's do that. So I started this little company, built some custom houses, but it was too stressful because I had a young baby who had just been born at the time. So uh, I shut that company down. It was experiment number one. And then I moved into much more casual stuff, and that's really agreed with me. And you know, I just build things in my free time, and I got into writing. and Parenting is a huge part of my my job right now. It's I feel like yeah. parenting is like a ten to twelve hour a day job. <laughs> so, so I'm plenty busy.
0: Um, so yeah, I don't know how I could possibly fit in a actual job in in this life. Right. And and as a, a software engineer, do you use any technology to manage your money? Like, you have any favorites? i do I kind of use technology
2: to manage everything and to make up for my inadequate brain, so I have everything as automated as I can so cool. I'm still interested in in software and making computers do from do work for me um, I just set everything to automatic, so most of my stock money is in in Vanguard, so yeah. it's just set to automatically reinvest dividends um and then I just log in and and keep the portfolio sort of in balance mm-hmm. very rarely like once or twice a year. Which would just mean, you know, if you have too many domestic stocks, and I would want a bit more international or whatever. That's very passive, though. I don't mess with that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like all my bills to be automatically paid, so I can't accidentally pay the credit card bill off late. Right. And I like uh, for rental houses. I only have one now, but I like that automatically deposited from the tenant into the account, and that works out. So that's that's the extent of my technology. Um, what about budget? I don't do budgets. I've never ever followed any kind of budget for us it's um we're kind of weird in that way we just spend according to our values so like every time you're about to buy something you think is this really the right purchase for me you decide yes or no quite often it's no like if you're in target and there's an impulse purchase sure looking at you you just say well i didn't come here to buy this thing so i'm gonna just sit in the back of my mind and next time i'm at target which will probably be in six months uh chances are i will have forgotten about it yeah that's my idea of budgeting is just personal questioning at the time of purchase.
1: So I think a lot of people understand that, like to go into Target, oh, and yeah, and I just won't buy the thing. But I think far fewer people actually don't, Like, far fewer people walk out with nothing. How do you kind of change that? You know, how do you change that in other people? Or how do you change that in yourself?
2: I'm not sure if I can, but that's kind of what the blog is designed to do. So it works on some people, and that is uh, number one. You got to realize what money is for. So money is not for buying yourself stuff. Money is for freedom. So anything you, any stuff you buy, is a direct subtraction from your freedom. And uh, then suddenly everything's getting weighed against. Well, I'm going to have to work longer and commute more to work and put up with annoying coworkers just to have this extra end table for my couch or whatever and suddenly when when you have this competition of what your money can be used for it becomes a lot easier to save it because saving becomes fun and powerful instead of sad and compromising that's number 1 and and number 2 is um embracing hardship is a big thing like i a lot of people have run from anything uncomfortable like oh i can't ride my bike it's like 30 degrees outside that would be terrible <laughs> right and i encourage people to think like You know, anytime you do something that's challenging, that's a personal triumph. And that's really what life, that's where the happiness in life comes from, is triumphing over adversity. So just that little subtle shift um, where you suddenly do things because they're hard instead of avoiding them because they're hard and realizing that's what makes you happy. That's great because that saves you a ton of money. It keeps you busy. Suddenly you don't have time to get like the opera house season pass tickets or anything else because you're busy doing harder stuff like building yourself a fence Mm -hmm. in 100 degree heat or (laughs) learning to maintain your car or learning to bike to work and all this other stuff that doesn't really cost anything Hmm. um
0: i want to take a break real quick is that cool yeah we'll be right back and we're back
1: So uh, I'm an engineer as well, and, you know, engineers get paid pretty well. And and so the people that I kind of know, and I'm sure you knew similar people, I I tell them these things, and I've also uh, fallen victim to it. But, you know, I'd ask you, what about vacations? You know, why don't you guys go to Spain and, you know, do like a whole thing? Like, how do you? (laughs) Yeah, also, I don't know how to end that question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is great. I do. uh, I have traveled a lot. And back in our working years, before the kids, the kid, um, Mm. my wife and I traveled a lot, you know, Australia and New Zealand and Italy and these other places. So this traveling is not necessarily all that expensive. You just got to shop for it in the same way that you would shop for anything else. Um, I think it gets more expensive if you're always doing it. Like the compulsive travel in Colorado, for example, a lot of people go to the mountains every single weekend. And then they'll rent a place, and they'll drive 200 miles back and forth. And they think that, like, oh, yeah, that's just a few bucks here and there. But that adds up to probably $12,000 a year for a lot of people. Yeah. And they don't notice it. And then they think, oh, if only I could afford, like, a $1,200 all-inclusive package to Cancun in the winter. Man, travel is so expensive. Without realizing they're spending 10 times more on just their local stuff and a lot of people fly around the country for weddings um mm-hmm. you know even for people they don't like <laughs> and spend a thousand bucks a pop you know yeah. you don't have to do that you can concentrate on the travel that really means something to you That's and so, yeah I still travel a lot now but it tends to be
1: I'm I'm getting cheap. this this like interesting vibe where you you're not saying like don't go to Italy and you know have gelato you're saying approach it differently and try and you know, find the deal and not just like the splurge,
2: right? Find the deal and and make sure that you balance it in all your other times. Like there was a lot of times I could have gone on trips, but I didn't have time because I was I valued the Something other things. Else, like yeah. oh, I got a camping trip planned with my friends, so I don't have time to go to Italy. And also, guess which one costs less, <laughs> right? And uh, mm. I'm working on my house. For example, this year I spent the whole winter rebuilding this house, uh, an old 1950s house to become kind of a beautiful modern one, which I'm now speaking to you from my new office. Nice. And uh, I could have gone to a lot of foreign destinations over the winter, but I didn't have time because I was busy producing something of value, which was really fun to do as well. I was working with my friends and I was out in the sun all day and yeah. and slinging lumber. And so it's kind of neat if you make a list of what's best for you and what you would enjoy most and prioritize it and then sort it in order of cost as well. Yeah. And then just start picking according to that. You'll find
0: you don't really have time to spend much money. I wanted to get your take on this tiny house movement. Is that something that's in your future? Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm a bit of a house slut. Right.
2: In the sense that I like a luxurious (laughs) dwelling. Okay. um, So that's one of my weaknesses. I always define luxury as a weakness. So (laughs) I I don't think it sounds like... I love
0: house slut. (laughs) I
2: don't know yeah. Why. So when people see my house, they're like, "Oh, that's not that's not mustachian." Like my right. mustache has gone soft. That thing looks like a design magazine. And you know, you're, we're allowed to have our weaknesses as long as we can afford them. Yeah. My house is smaller. Like I just downsized downsized yeah. from a twenty six hundred square foot house to like a fifteen hundred square foot house, which is still like huge and fairly for three people. That's more than what most of the world gets to live in. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I'm not really down with the idea of living in a in like a 200 square foot house like some people do. Right. But I think it's awesome when they do, and, and um, they're building total- it themselves.
0: Yeah, a lot of them are. Yeah.
2: And if you're single, that's a really great thing to do. And if you're younger, or if you're older and badass, or maybe your kids have grown up, or maybe some people do it even with kids.
0: And I, I that's crazy.
2: Completely idolize those people, and I think it's a great idea. Yeah. So tiny houses are. A wonderful development, and I'm glad they're catching on. And I've actually got a date with a girl in San Diego to help her build a tiny house so she can move out of her regular house and into her own backyard and live in a tiny house and rent out her main house. So the idea is my wife and son, we would come and stay in our guest quarters, and we'd build this tiny house and then uh, profile it on the blog because it's actually pretty fast to build a tiny house if you have the full skills and tools because it's such a small space. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's wonderful. We should all be thinking about smaller dwellings and quality over quantity, and I should too. so I took one step in that direction now, but
0: we'll see I might be able to man up over the years
2: and uh and live in even less in the future.
0: yeah, we'll see uh I have uh one question about um was it hard to get your wife on board with this whole early retirement thing? Was she just like you in that sense, or did you have to take some convincing?
2: I would say there's a little bit of convincing. Okay. Um, she wasn't raised in the total, you know, like lawyer's daughter pampering kind of way. But on the other hand, she had adopted the norms of our culture. So mm-hmm. when she came and got her first adult job, you know, as a um, software person, she was making better money. And it naturally just started to go to like the best in athletic clothing and brand new books from Amazon and, mm-hmm. you know, dinner lunches out with the coworkers at work every day totally fine stuff but when she added it up she realized like wow this is like 12 again like 12 dollars a year of of stuff that's not really getting me anywhere and uh, as she did that for a couple of years and then we kind of mutually realized hey well maybe we should do early retirement instead especially if we're going to have kids in the future and that got her pretty motivated she's like wow i don't have to work while i have kids if yeah. uh, and i get to have my husband home too um if we just like cut out some lattes and books and athletic clothing well that sounds good to me huh so i think sharing the dream of freedom and child raising is often good if there's like a couple trying to get on board with the same things and also you have to realize you have to study a little bit of happiness and realize like the stuff is really not making you happy so you're not making mm. any sacrifice by giving up pretty much anything beyond food and water and shelter. Those are the real things. Um, other than that, if you're looking for happiness, you should look towards friends and family rather than stuff
1: and, and handbags and expensive mountain bikes and stuff. So uh, I, I totally resonate with that, by the way. And just, you know, I want to spend time with you know my wife and, and stuff like that. And I'm just curious because um, I know you live in Colorado and it's uh, at least very cheap there compared to where I live, uh, New York city. And I know that you've kind of talked on this stuff, but I want to, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, you say one on one hand, like you shouldn't live, uh, so far away from work. Like that is also crazy because of commute costs and whatever. How, how would you handle, uh, something like the city where I live in a very small place with my wife? Um, It is definitely not uh, extravagant by any means, um, but it's just expensive to be here. That's true. Well, the rent is
2: expensive in New York, but a lot of the other stuff is not expensive, not any more than the rest of the country because we have such an amazing trade network in this country. So like your groceries, you can still find a Costco and you can still, or you can still find local like ethnic kind of stores. So mm-hmm. it's the same price to eat in New York as everywhere else. But, of course, everyone chooses to go out and spend 35000 on dinners mm. per year just because that's the culture there. So there's a lot of people that read my blog that, um, that live in New York and New York Manhattan, and they come back with these spending reports that are just barely more than what someone would spend anywhere else, like even in a cheap place like Omaha. I'm kind of in the middle of the road Cost of living place, because I'm right next to Boulder, which is like venture capital mini yeah. mini San Francisco deal. So yeah. we we don't have the super cheap housing. But then again, just separate housing from the rest of cost of living because really the United States is an incredibly cheap place to live compared to almost any other developed country. And I get these reports from Europe all the time. They're like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> and then and then just get innovative on your housing if you want. Like you can rent an apartment or you can buy a multiplex. In Brooklyn and then rent out everything else except for your unit and then do renovations and a lot of people I I know there live for free or make a huge cash flow profit on living so they have cheaper living than me effectively Hmm. so it's all about making special arrangements hack your own system
0: if you want to live there
2: and also you don't have to live there that's one of my secrets is you don't have to live in New York you can actually move anywhere you want
0: (laughs) yeah if you can work from anywhere
2: Yes, and you can generally because just get a new job, especially in in tech you can work there's oodles of jobs that'll have you that'll hire you regardless of where you are and if you are gonna be in New York, make sure there's a reason you know if you have strong family ties, that's a good reason um, if you're just in New York because you have like an eighty thousand dollar a year job and that's it, that's not a reason you know mm-hmm. New York is a place to stay when you're making five hundred thousand. If you're gonna make eighty, you might as well live in in Omaha or any other low cost place, or you can pick a tropical location, like somewhere in Florida or somewhere, yeah, <laughs> in the, somewhere in the mountains. Yeah, right. Yeah, you just don't need, New York is a place, it's expensive because there's a lot of high incomes there. So yeah.
0: stay if you can get one, otherwise go somewhere else. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about uh, studying happiness, right? And yeah. you mentioned friends. And one of the struggles that I have is is with friendship. And friendship with friendship comes peer pressure and peer pressure spending. How do you avoid that and and having a contentious relationship with a friend who you know say wants to go out and you know drink a shitload of nice beers and like eat frog wall and all these you know fancy things? How do you avoid letting someone down or you know feeling like you're I don't want to hang out with this guy because he's being cheap or frugal? You know you know you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, well it's a tricky one. Yeah, and um because you. You can slowly prune and adapt your friends. That's one option, you know, because you're as over time, friends fade in and out. There's always new ones and there's always old ones, and sometimes older ones drift away. And if you, uh, you know, if you enjoy, suddenly you might find yourself enjoying the company of people who aren't just into sitting at restaurants eating, and you might enjoy people who are like hikers instead or cyclists. Yeah. Um, that's what happened. What's happened to me? You know, I kind of drifted away from the consumery friends. Not that I don't like them, but we just don't have as much in common to do, you know, because they're like, hey, let's go do a $100 happy hour. And I'm like, (laughs) I kind of wanted to go camping this weekend, you know, can't we get packed up early and go and um, just stuff like that. But the other thing you can do, even with your existing friends, is you can become the boss. So it turns out there's a secret with humans where we are too many, uh, what's the old slogan? Too many Indians and I don't know, too many chiefs. Too many
0: cooks in the kitchen.
2: Yeah, or too many uh, Indians and not enough chiefs. Yeah. So, anyway, the point is if you step up to a leadership position and tell your friends what you're doing, you're going to find everyone listens to you because very few people are willing to take the initiative. So, mm. you could say, Guess what, guys? Dinner's at my house. We're going to do like a do it yourself sushi party, which turns out is way more fun than going out for sushi. Yeah. Or we can like, you can invent all kinds of stuff and you become a social organizer. Just, you know, a little do they know they start doing healthier stuff that's not as expensive. And, um, and then suddenly everyone's following you. You end up with more friends because social leaders are the ones that get all the, all the friends. And that's kind of what you could even say that my own hobby of uh, blogging has, has caused this. So now I command a legion of hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of people. And I tell them what's fun to do. And, you know, biking is fun and making your own food. And suddenly there's lots of people to draw from. And, and there's like 100 of them coming over to our house later this week. Or to a public park near my house to share in these values, you know. It's like that's (laughs) awesome. Plenty of people. I want to move to Colorado. Yes, and that's the other thing is I encourage people to gather. So I've uh, informally designated Longmont, Colorado, as the future badass utopia capital (laughs) of the United States, and all people who are into a you know natural lifestyle and outdoorsy and helping each other out. And chuckling about our fortunate lives together and sharing beers on front porches should move here right now. And I will help you, and then we'll, we'll all be friends instantly. So that's already happening to a certain degree. There's a bunch of people who have already moved here.
0: Oh, my. I actually wow. might. I'm I actually thinking about coming out there for the winter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a boulder, actually. Yeah.
2: That sounds good. Well, well, we'll hook up once you're here and the uh, badass utopia will spread once again. And see, notice how I'm becoming the boss here. I'm telling people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you what to do and
1: suddenly you're excited to do it. You you're can right. follow this model yourself. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, we have, we have a, I mean, again, just kind of back to the, the engineer thing because um, we were lucky and that we make a lot of money. We have a lot of people in our audience who, who do not make a lot of money. So, you know, getting up to $800,000 because they don't spend that much, they're going to say, well, that can never happen to me. What What do you say to people who maybe don't make as much? Like, is it, are they forsaken now?
2: No, definitely not. In fact, I think it's all about perspective. Like you just said, I make a lot of money. That's the right perspective to have because there's a lot of people sitting right next to you in New York that think, man, that guy doesn't make anything. I don't see how he could even pay for his nannies with that kind of income. <laughs> right. And uh, we are all, we all make a lot of money in this country. And that's the first thing to think about. I make a lot of money is what you say. And holy shit, I can make even more money just by, with all these opportunities that are around me. So that tends to happen over time too. Mm-hmm. And then if you feel really grateful for everything that you do have, like you can get a complete meal of healthy ingredients from the grocery store for like a dollar or two anywhere in the country. That. That means we're all incredibly rich compared to the cost of our true needs. So start with that attitude and then build it from there. So I I retired with $800,000. That's too much. That was based on expecting to spend $32,000 a year, which is a super gluttonous, crazy lifestyle with like cars and jet travel and all this other stuff. You don't need that to be happy. Like you should start with lower expectations. And uh, if you focus on happiness, you can really spend a lot less than that. And you might surprise yourself and suddenly realize that you do have the 800,000. You're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll spend a little bit more. But you just got to start with realizing you need nothing. You really need nothing. And everything you have is more than you need already. And then just build it up from
1: there. So you you had said, um, you know, we're in this country and we have like all these awesome opportunities around us. And uh, I, I know from reading your blog and just us talking, like you've always been like a kind of, for lack of a better term, side hustle guy. Like, did you have some side things before you retired? Do you think that everyone should kind of have a side thing so they can step away from, you know, the day-to-day grind? And supplement their income
2: to make it a little bit faster? Mm. I don't think you need that. I wasn't really planning to make money after retirement um, based on my original savings plan. Mm Uh, it's just it turns out that I'm only happy when I'm accomplishing something, so I I tend to always work on something. I like to learn and do things that are challenging throughout the day, and sometimes you get you get paid for doing that kind of stuff. Um, so I think everybody should have a plan for after work. It doesn't have to be money making, but it that's a nice shortcut if you're in one of these higher income or no lower income groups like Andrew talked about earlier yeah you know let's say you make $25,000 a year and you still want to quote retire early well maybe you won't be retiring off a giant chunk of assets maybe you'll just be quitting your your crappy job at the department store and having a little bit of income from investments or maybe you have a rental house or a duplex that you share with other people and you'll start your side business which maybe brings in like $5,000 a year or something small you can go a lot sooner into freedom um if you have a little bit of savings and a little bit of side hustle income so it's a, really a balance but everyone's got to do something if you retire early you can't just retire early and then go straight straight to the wheelchair and the rv and stuff it, like right that, right it's just not it's not
0: a good plan no uh, and i want to i want to talk about the site so what you you had you had mentioned um that you saw this your friends and people around you were uh asking you a lot of questions about how you did it and then you decided to make the site. Is that what happened? More or less, yeah. I was I wanted to it
2: wasn't for my friends, but it was it was addressed to society in general, mm-hmm. like an open letter
0: to society. That uh-huh. was the basic thing. Now do you do you yeah. make do you make money from the site now? How long? I mean you've had it for a couple of years now. Yeah, it's over
2: three years old now. And uh unexpectedly it does make quite a bit of money now. And I haven't used that to increase my spending at all, but basically, if anything, I've used it to decrease my spending because now I feel more comfortable, like, you know, I have more of a cushion and I want to use it for projects related to the blog, and I have been, as well as the upkeep of the blog itself. But yeah, that's one of my happy, unexpected stories that I like to joke about on the blog. It's like, shit, even just writing about not working suddenly earns money. Yeah.
0: And how do you (laughs) earn money from it?
2: Um, it's the usual kind of blog stuff. So yeah. affiliate, you have affiliate programs. Um, like I have a page, it's called the recommendations page. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down all the products and stuff that I use because people are always asking me anyway. And then some of those companies will pay you commissions as well. Right. So I looked up those ones, joined their affiliate programs. And then wherever there's a, um, an option, like Republic Wireless is one. That's my, my mobile phone company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited about that company long before... I had even heard from them in person and I was like, yeah, Republic Wireless, I'm going to use that. Then they called me because I knew about the blog and like, hey, do you want to be one of our affiliates? And we'll pay you like, I don't know, $20 whenever somebody signs up for the service. And I said, yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect for my values because, um, you know, I can, the blog can earn money even while I just do what I would have done anyway. Right. So that's my rule, you know, that's my my general guideline for making money on the blog is I, I'm not allowed to change. I'm not allowed to endorse stuff that I don't already use. But right. if I do use something, then I'm allowed to endorse it and accept money. It's not pure like Ralph Nader or Consumer Reports,
0: but uh, it's it's good enough for me. It, it matches what I feel is right. Yeah. And you just recently changed the design. I think That's it looks, true. It looks awesome. Why'd you, what made you do that?
2: Um, it was just a side effect of, uh, of the blog getting bigger. I realized that the old beginner blog where it's just a reverse chronological chronology like list of posts wasn't quite right for all the new people. And I looked at the stats and there's like thousands of new people showing up every day. And then if my new, if they show up and just see whatever I happen to write about most recently, that's not necessarily what you want your new readers to see. Right. So there's a front page now, which has got like what I call the triple M classics and featured posts, which are sort of stuff that's designed to be useful to someone who's never been there before. And hopefully interesting enough to encourage them to read more And then there's also like if you go to moneymustache.com slash blog, then that's the old style. And that's what the existing
0: readers prefer because they've already read everything else
2: and they just want to see what's new.
0: Uh, Now, besides the blog, do you have any cool projects that that you're doing right now or that are coming up in your future that you want to? It's kind of blog related. Yeah. The blog has taken over a bit of my life
2: because it's become so fun. So I've shut down a little bit of my other stuff that I used to be into. Like I don't do professional carpentry work anymore. I just work on my own house. Mm -hmm. And uh, that way I can free free up more time to write on the blog. Uh, I'm going to write a book related to the blog. Cool. um, During the next year. And and part of that is I'm going to sell my rental house. So I don't have to think about that. I'm a really like really wimpy kind of single tasker in my Mm -hmm. life. And if I have stuff planned or if I have outstanding obligations, they consume all my limited brain power. So I can't do anything new. So I have to shut down other stuff to focus on new stuff. And that's kind of the stage I'm in right now. But the blog is still interesting. Like, it encourages me to do stuff. So I'm doing science experiments related to super low home energy consumption, for example, Mm -hmm. and fitness and various things related to social change. And, uh, you know, I just do experiments and write about on the blog. That's 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 the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing too specific right now. There's a few secret ones, but they'll just come out. Whenever I
0: get around to writing about them. When you feel the, uh, the passion surge in yeah. you, knew, yeah.
2: Oh, like one of them is a documentary. I'm going to go on oh. a cross-U.S. Uh, bicycle kind of extravaganza where I show up in different cities and people who claim that their city is not bike-friendly and you can't bike to work there. I'm going to show up with bikes at their house and then say, <laughs> we're biking to work today, sucker, get on. <laughs> and then, and then oh, that's awesome. Them. You know, like biking in Houston and all this other stuff where people say that you have to have a car, and it's just totally wrong. The whole United States is totally fine for biking already. And if we all start biking, it's going to get way more friendly overnight. So that's one of my missions, as that's one of my side projects. Yeah. And I got a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. I got a filmmaker on board, and we're going to do this tour, but I just have to free up a bit of time because I've been traveling too much through the summer. So taking a break before the documentary begins.
0: Yeah. I have to. I guess I have to mention Andrew loves this video. Uh, it's called. You ever see motherfucking bike?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. He loves that. I, I found so, it from <laughs> you. Yeah, I, I okay it everywhere. Yeah, uh, the funny part is
0: everywhere.
2: I think it's making fun of bikes but, it, a little uh, bit. Yeah, because it's like talking about us being rude and right. like blocking the elevator and and giving the finger to cars for no reason. <laughs> but it's just a nice little hip hop track, and that's uh, fun. It's catchy. So I still, I still
0: forward it around. Cool. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, to kind of wrap things up um, and, I, and I, I, this has been enlightening to say the least, uh, but what is your, what do you think your like major piece of advice is to your listener or your readers or, or whoever you talk to on a daily basis? What's your, what's your big, you know, advice for them?
2: Well, the long-term people would have different advice because they already know everything I'm going to say. And for those people, I'd just say, yeah, let's hang out or let's keep doing what we're doing. But for new people, I would say change your entire perspective on life and learn about happiness itself and start embracing hardship and learning about your own psychology and the human animal in general. Get the bigger picture. Zoom out of the department store and the shopping bag and the fancy car and just start learning about, like, what are you anyway? Like, what are you this chunk of meat on this planet and how did you get here and what's the purpose of you being alive? Start going back from those roots and then mm-hmm. that's going to help you reevaluate what it really means. Like what's your real goal in life? What it means and, to be uh, human. Yeah. And that's that's what you got to do if you want to completely fix your life and have control over your money and your spending and stuff. You, you got to just throw out the whole package of consumer junk and and get
0: some deeper and more scientific understanding of of what's really going on here? Yeah, that really interests me. Do you have uh, like I, I've watched documentaries on Netflix? Like, uh, there's a documentary called Happy, which I found pretty interesting. And I actually just recently watched Man on Wire, which is, which was amazing. Uh, yep. Which just talks about you know, this guy just had a passion his whole life, and it didn't matter what it, what it took to do it. He just had to do it. And is there any uh, resources or or things that people can look at to study uh, happiness or just human nature in general yeah i
2: think you should you should study happiness and human nature one of them is called the art of happiness which is a collaboration between a u.s uh, psychologist and the dalai lama himself Mm. that's a pretty neat thing it's it's studying happiness from a very practical uh, version of buddhism and so that's cool that's that's like looking at your own feelings inside but i also like to think of the outside picture like instead of learning about culture and society learn more about, like, science and evolution and really understand, like, whoa, what are humans? Like, what are humans anyway? Instead yeah. of, like, what is this group of humans doing or what's that group of humans doing? That's too much, like, he said, she said. I like to learn about the whole thing, like, how do atoms get formed in the, in the compressed centers of stars and how does that result in planets forming and how does life form out of that? And understanding this big picture is really fascinating. And then it makes you say, like, holy shit, I guess I don't need that Gucci handbag after all. <laughs> like that just seems so shallow and tiny yeah. compared to what's really going on. So like study the whole universe and understand, you know, just ignore. That's why I don't watch the news. Me neither. And I don't like study what's happening in this or that political battle of the day. Like that's just way too small. Small and, potatoes, yeah. Temporary. You know, you got to, unless you're actually in that field and you're like a political advisor, uh-huh. you, you got a bigger job until you're like, you know, up with the big guns of science, you might as well learn about learn about the big picture, and then you can you know, then you can engage your little side hobbies of being interested in golf or politics right. too. But
0: you know, start with the big picture. And I think uh, a good resource for that would be watching Cosmos.
2: Oh yes, I oh. was just going to say that yeah. Cosmos is brand new, one of the most interesting, most graphically beautiful summaries. Of, is amazing of everything. And uh, the Neil deGrasse guy, I really love that guy. He's like fun to watch. Yep. You could tell he's like a science nerd who just got thrown into TV. Yep, but you can see he's really genuine. He's not plasticky at all.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's so. the guy that made Family Guy. He's like the the producer of that show. And really? Yeah, yeah. Step oh. to the far, leg. And uh, the wife of Carl Sagan is also one of the writers on the show. So it's like uh, the original Cosmos uh, has a lot to do with it because it was That's an old PBS thing. And uh, you know that show is now on Netflix. It got, it got put on Netflix pretty quickly because it is mind blowing. And if you want to feel small, you feel real small when you watch that show. Yeah. I love it. Which My is good. And I it's a good watch perspective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. With each one that comes out, we, we just get it as soon as possible. Everybody snuggles in the three of us. Yeah. With like the best screen and the best sound and just <laughs> absorb
0: every pixel of that show. Cause it's really good. It is really good. And, uh, so we so besides you yeah, have where else can people find you?
2: Um, that's the only place I don't have any, uh, stuff for sale. And, uh, unless you live in Longmont and you stop by my house, I'm not really, uh, not really out there too much. And <laughs> I mean, you're on social media, right? Oh yes, that's true. I have a Twitter account. Cool. Under Mr. Money Mustache and there's a Money Mustache Facebook page, but those are just kind of little funny appendages where I try to get people to go to the blog, which is where the real action is.
0: Right. Cool. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. I really appreciate this chat.
2: Well, thanks a lot. It was certainly fun and, uh, good luck with your own. Listen, Money Matters. Yeah. I think it's got
0: a catchy enough name that it's going to go big. <laughs> it's so. got a good amount of syllables. The podcast is doing well. So we're, you know, yeah. we're getting out there being a little brash and you know, trying to be a badass. That's
2: good. Well, yeah. I wish you the best and I'll see you
0: soon. All right. Yeah, really definitely. A like couple, uh, couple of weeks we'll be in FinCon together. Yes, it's true. Perfect. And if you guys got questions uh, for the show, at least uh, you can email us in listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And real quick, uh, if you like the show, of course, go on iTunes, and subscribe, that's what we need you to do If you like the show, get it, we do one every single day Seven days a week And you will get it directly into your uh, phone or, or wherever you listen to podcasts uh, Even Stitcher as well And uh, please leave a review if you can We have a review that I want to read real quick It's a short one from uh, WBBade uh, Or Aid. Who knows Although All the, all the uh, usernames are super weird But that's cool Mine's knobsky's, so uh, I, I commiserate Uh, And it's from the United States, and it's five stars. Very informative, great ideas. As a recent graduate preparing to enter the investment world, these guys have been instrumental in setting a baseline for learning. Very informative, funny, and filled with great ideas. So thank you for that amazing short, but amazing review. And we love reading them at the end of the show. And guys, you can check out our website, listedmoneymatters.com. And we have a toolbox, much like the Mr. Money Mustache resources page, where we give out all of our... Uh, things and tools and and products that we use personally, and that's found at listenmoneymatters dot com slash toolbox. So that's it, Mister Money Mustache, Pete. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Yes, thank you, Sue. All right, thanks again, guys, and we look forward to the next episode. So later, later, man.